Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 13 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda. Happy to be rejoined by the cosmopolitan Jonah Birch. Follow us on Twitter at Jacobin Sports and email us with any thoughts or questions or booking suggestions at jacobinsports at gmail.com. Jonah, I have not seen or spoken to you in a while, so I put this question to you. If you could vacation anywhere on Earth fully paid for a year, or go anywhere in outer space for two weeks, hey. what would you choose? Well, it would have to be somewhere, you know, between Mars and Buenos Aires. <laughs> and uh, I, let me give a shout out now to the late Fernando D'Amelio, my, uh, my late father-in-law who just passed away, a uh, major longtime football fan, very conflicted you know, about all things uh, Argentine soccer related, mm. but he felt the triumphs uh, like all Argentines mm -hmm. in, in a way that I could, I could not possibly hope to understand. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I would go with Argentina, you know, great steak, good food, that's, complicated politics. That's, that's probably as, as good as you're going to find anywhere else in the universe. I'd um, say so. All right. In today's episode, we are going to focus on the Champions League um, quarterfinals, which just resolved not too long ago, maybe about an hour ago. I want to introduce our guest for today, and I want to shout out first Francisco Perez, also known as Platonomics on Twitter, for suggesting our guest for today. Our guest is an associate professor at the New School, where he is also the chair of the Media and Culture Concentration in the Graduate Program of International Affairs. Our guest is the editor and founder of the website Africa is a Country, a project to expand and amplify the voice of African writers across borders and languages to challenge the global narrative. He is the author of Media in Post-Apartheid South Africa, Post-Colonial Politics in the Age of Globalization. He is also a Shuttleworth Fellow, um, which is social innovators who receive a fellowship grant and project funding. He roots for Liverpool, so I'm outnumbered in this episode, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show for the first time, Mr. Sean Jacobs. Sean, how are you doing? I, I'm very, I'm very well. I'm not, I'm not feeling too great after after the game today. Although I didn't expect much, because this is not the the same Liverpool of 2019. I mean, you know, or the team that won the mm -hmm. the Premier League. So I wasn't shocked, but you know, you want to believe. You, you want to believe, but it didn't. It didn't play out. Mm -hmm. We are on this show very familiar with following teams that we want to believe, but end up maybe regretting having that belief. And so you are in good company today. Let's start with Liverpool, since you and Jonah are both fans of the Reds. Liverpool today had a nil-nil draw in their second leg of their quarterfinal against Madrid. So Real Madrid will advance to the semifinals. Um, Obviously, there's the game to discuss, but I'm not particularly myself interested that much in the details of a 0-0 draw. Um, I am interested, um, I guess, asking both of you this question, but we'll start with you, Sean. Um, Liverpool is now in a little bit of danger, missing next year's Champions League. Um, their only way to advance there now is to finish, I think, top four, and they are currently in sixth in the Premier League, three points behind West Ham and just behind Chelsea. Obviously, they still have a chance to do it. But my question to you, Sean, would be, given the rapid rise and success of recent years and given how Liverpool has arguably been the best team in the world the last couple of years and that it was such a long stretch um, without a title for them, 
how much do you as a fan feel disappointment weighed against recent success? You know, a, a, some teams like Real, if they don't win every year, I think of the Yankees this way also. If they win, there seems to be joy, but it happens a lot. And when they don't win, it, it doesn't seem like there's an appreciation for any middle ground. Do you feel right now, first of all, does Liverpool making the Champions League, how important is that to you as a fan? And do you think to the club in terms of being able to attract premier transfer targets and just keep the momentum going that they've built under um, Jurgen Klopp? So I have, I have two answers. In terms of kind of football real politic or like, you know, on the field, I would say mm-hmm. I'm disappointed because, as you said, if you if you don't play Champions League football, if you ask Arsenal fans, they'll tell you this. Or if you ask Tottenham fans, well, Tottenham is, is back, but I don't think they're going to play next year. Then they'll tell you that that matters. The fact that you don't play in the Champions League, you cannot attract Kylian Mbappe or Irving Haaland, you know, or or Thiago Alcantara, who just came to Liverpool. You won't be able to get that player to come to your team. So at that level, of course, it's upsetting, and especially. If if you watch lots of football pundits, particularly like these old um, former British footballers, like Roy Keane, so, or 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 you know particularly players who played for Manchester United, which is a historical rival of, of, of um, Liverpool, they really enjoy this decline of Liverpool, whether it's momentarily or whatever. They love this decline of Liverpool. So from that perspective, I don't like fans of other teams goading me. I hate that. I grew up in a city where <laughs> there were lots of. Um, Man United fans. I also, I'm also a fan in South Africa, a club called the Lando Pirates, and we have a kind of historical uh, enmity with this team called Kaiser Chiefs. I can talk about those. By the way, Kaiser Chiefs is actually named for Atlanta Chiefs, but that's another story. So, oh, wow. with that answer, I'm disappointed and I'm upset. You know, and you're not happy, and it's it's just not great watching it. As a as a kind of long time Liverpool fan, I'm I'm actually I'm okay with it. We just won the we we won the Champions League in, in 2019, and then we won mm-hmm. like after we were disappointed the previous seasons where pre, previous season where we broke a record in the number of points that we scored that we amassed, but we still couldn't win the championship. Then the next season we win the championship like emphatically. There was a little bump like when the, when, yeah. the, when the pandemic was sort of was right when the pandemic was start was starting and they suspended football. But we won it, so we, we were the reigning champions. And then we had so many injuries. Like, in key positions, we lost, like, our best player, Virgil van Dijk. We had to move people into makeshift positions to kind of make up for, you know, to, to compete. And as I said, when I started as a Liverpool fan in the early 1980s, Liverpool was, part, was the best team in the world. Like, they were winning what was then called the European Cup. This is like Alan Kennedy late Ray Clemens, you know, Kevin Keegan. Liverpool was incredible. Mm-hmm. Alan Hansen, later on came Bruce Krobler and all those players. So that was like when Liverpool was ruling. Then Liverpool, then Heysel happened, you know, when they went at the stadium disaster, when they were played, I think they were playing Roma or something, or Juventus, I think it was Juventus. And that led to Liverpool being banned from European competition. And since then, I, then I think Liverpool had the slump. It could never win the Premier League. Um, it only it won the Champions League only again in 2005, but that was like a fluke. People, mm-hmm. we rejoiced, but nobody was like, oh, we're back. It was just weird with like this make, made up team. So as a long view, I'm I'm actually okay with it. I'm not, we, we could do it again. 
hopefully what will happen now is we will have some kind, we will assess and like rebuild. Hopefully we'll be like, okay, the people we have, most of them need a new challenge. They want this thing. They're great players, but I don't think they're, I don't want to say their heart's not in it, but you have to be hungry all the time in football, I suppose. And they're not. And maybe if when Alden goes to Barcelona, Omani goes to Real Madrid, that's, that's bad. But we've got other players that could now emerge. So, you know, we've got Curtis Jones, We've got Diego Jota. Um, so for those reasons, I'm okay. I'm not as upset as I thought I would be. I think you also have the advantage of um, having a team who employs a manager that people want to play for, which I think is another big draw um, versus other teams that may may not have that. Jonah, um, you, have, you have suffered through a tough sports year. The Patriots are not the Patriots anymore. The Celtics are closer to the Knicks than they are to the, the top of the Eastern Conference. The And Liverpool themselves also have a bit of a struggle going on. Does this hurt you more than it would have if your other teams were playing better? Is it, you know, is it? do you feel like, Sean, like, hey, it's been a great ride of late. This really doesn't phase me. No, and, and I got to say, uh, you know, Sean's uh, ability to gain some perspective on this, I find totally wrong, completely <laughs> incorrect. You know, you should totally overreact to, you know, look, you know, during this lockdown, one of the few joys in life has been watching Liverpool or was at the beginning of the lockdown as they won the league last year. And uh, and then this season has been tough to take and their Champions League defeat to, to Madrid really encapsulated the season uh, a very disappointing first leg when you know their defense let them down and they drew today with Madrid 0-0 so many chances uh, and uh, it felt like they had all kinds of opportunities uh, to chip away uh, at the at Madrid's lead and they were uh, unable to do so so definitely some things need to change now I'm not so sure you know, Mohamed Salah is going to go anywhere. Some people are definitely going somewhere and there has to be some new blood in there. So disappointing, you know, so the performance today, uh, people, you know, so some players, including players who are wonderful players. I mean, Sadio Mane has been incredible for this team and he's just had a tough season. It's hard to say how much of that is COVID. COVID is very tough for people. Obviously this Liverpool team has played a ton, a ton in the last year. So many matches, you know, so much travel. Uh, and you wonder if that's taken something, out, you know, out of people. Uh, but obviously there, there have to be some, some changes, uh, you know. And the fact that we are just going to lose to these petrodollar created, you know, <laughs> these, these monsters uh, <clears throat> like your team, Manchester City, uh, I find completely unacceptable. Totally unwilling to take it. Now, there are people on Liverpool Twitter who are uh, – you know, let's say there have been some serious overreactions to what has been a very difficult season. They're kind of crazy. They're kind of crazy. Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool Twitter is crazy. <laughs> They're the people who are like, you know, Jurgen Klopp, thanks for everything. Now we want Steven Gerrard to come in. Oh, my God. That seems like the wrong way to handle this. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, the, the, everyone's dream is for is for Stevie to come back. And manage manage the team, which I, you know, he's he's managed Rangers to uh, very successful, uh, uh, you know, the League Cup in uh, in Scotland. So I, there is some expectation that that's what's going to happen down the road. But the idea that you would want Jurgen Klopp to leave sooner, 
I find unfathomable. Uh, and, uh, you know, but as a, as a native Bostonian, I do appreciate and understand the emotional overreaction there. It's something I can get behind in general. <laughs> I think my thing is, my thing is as somebody who grew up, well, <laughs> maybe I'm going to overthink it now. But as somebody, I, I grew up in South Africa, right? And I lived as as I, my wife always jokes that I call, I say anything that's bad. I'm like, oh, that that that's like apartheid. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like the the you know when you when you when, when you when you, it's like yeah, everything is apartheid. Well, even if you want me to do something, it's apartheid. But um, the thing is, if you've lived through something like that, I mean, I came of age basically as apartheid was ending. So to live to live through something that long, I think it does give you a kind of a perspective on on a lot of stuff. Like, and, and I'm not I'm not making this too serious. I'm just saying, like, it is it is definitely this idea of like you win some, or you will eventually win. You will eventually mm. win. And actually, when apartheid was over, you were partying and you thought that everything was great, and then you went into your neoliberal, you know. <laughs> Uh, um, like I don't know what to call that that moment of kind of you know the, what they, they called it in South Africa gear which was a neoliberal economic policy um, you privatized everything then you have again social movements emerging and then now you have like new kinds of social movements again in South Africa emerging asking other different so I, I think of Liverpool in that same way <laughs> something something will come again we'll have a new storm yes. but I also think like the reason I'm not too hard on Liverpool, when you said that the fans let us down, I know last week, Ken Alexander basically heading a ball in the path of like a Madrid player and then they, they, they scored a goal. I think it was Asensio. You, you're also looking at like, who's the hard, who's the like centre-backs for Liverpool? It's like Nathaniel Phillips and uh, Kabak, the, the Turkish guy that didn't even make it at Schalke. So it's like, we don't we don't have a proper the center backs are both injured. Joe Gomez, the first first kind of um rate center backs and Virgil van Dijk. For a while we had like two midfielders playing center back, Henderson, Fabinho. It's just it's hard for me to be hard on Liverpool. I think that's my problem. I cannot be hard on the team because the team has given me so much. That's sort of my feeling with Liverpool. I think they've given me so much. And I, I agree with you about Klopp. I think the whole Steven Gerrard thing is overreaction. Klopp is fine. Everybody's having a difficult time with COVID. All the teams. You have to play without crowds. Like, there's no crowd. There's no... Uh, Liverpool's whole thing is, is, is to build up the energy of the fans at Anfield. I mean, I was saying before the program, I, you know, I went to Anfield right before the... The, the the lockdown in 2020 in March, I went to a football match, a European Champions League game, actually, um, Liverpool Atletico Madrid. And the Liverpool crowd is is the extra player for real. Like in every you you can meet a fan from wherever, they'll say that. So that's why I'm like, there's no home games. Today, tonight's game, this was one problem. It's like, okay, it's not the same Liverpool, but the Liverpool that beat Barcelona 4-0 on that magical night. You can only do that if you have the crowd in the stadium, and we don't have that crowd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of petrodollar monsters, <laughs> Manchester City, I am happy to report, has advanced to the semifinals for only the second time in recent history. They needed to come back to do it. Um, they fell behind in the 15th minute when um, Jude Bellingham, the 17-year-old English player, 
um, put Dortmund ahead. But thanks to um, a handball that was called in the second half on Emre Can, which led to Riyad Mahrez um, hitting the penalty kick. And then 20 minutes after that, Phil Foden clinching the win with an absolute rocket laser frozen rope of a goal. City advance um, into the next round. They will play PSG, whose full name I will never again attempt to pronounce because Jonah speaks French fluently and beautifully, and I do not. I will read all the Spanish teams you want, but I'm not touching that one. Um, Sean, do you see anything? There's been a lot of talk about City and the, the quadruple, which has never been done before, and I don't really want to get that far ahead, but I am curious. Do you see anything in this City team that suggests to you that this could be the year that they win the Champions League versus prior seasons. They've been very good for a long time. They had the shot under um, Manuel Pellegrini when they played Real in the semis um, years ago. Couldn't really score um, back then. This team seems to be the hottest team in Europe now for months, but it's not, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a two-leg thing. Um, and then a one-game final. Do you see anything different about this team than the teams in the past that have not been able to win at all? So I, I wouldn't want to see it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't want City to do really well. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I have a, I have a sort of weird feeling about that. Although I did enjoy that time. I think that day when they scored that last uh, the goal in the last minute. I think it was against uh, Queens Park Rangers. Yes, it was. When when Aguero got that pass from my one of my favorite players, Balotelli. Me too. Um, and, and he scored. He scored that goal. So. That was I jumped for that. I was happy for for Man City. I don't know. You may be right. I think this might be that team that eventually breaks this. The, it, not not to call it a curse. It's also partly uh, Pep Guardiola. I think has never won the Champions League himself. So, right? He hasn't. Not, not without Messi. Not without Messi. Yeah, he had. He didn't do it at Bayern. Um, yep. So the question is, yeah, can exactly can he win it with this group of players? So. I don't know. Maybe he can. He's got. He's got good. Kevin De Bruyne is is De Bruyne is is as we say in South Africa De Bruyne. He's you know he's an incredible footballer. Um, he's he's gotten something out of Maris, which I think a lot of. Yes. I mean, Maris was great at Leicester, but he's made Maris like an incredible player. I know there's people who make fun of Maris cutting in, cutting into much the extra dribble and whatever, but Maris mm-hmm. Maris won. I would say the African Cup of Nations. Was basically Maris is doing for Algeria. So Maris is a great player. Phil Foden is emerging as a great footballer. Mm-hmm. Sterling got better at at City than he yes. was ever at Liverpool. Yeah, so I, I could see them. I could see them doing. It is a lot to do uh, the, the 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 treble, if you want to call it. Like, you know, as it seems like a lot of teams struggle to do, especially with with motivation. There's no crowd. Mm-hmm. Can you pull it off? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're gonna win the league. That's obvious. Um, they want to. They obviously going to win that that local cup game. Uh, I forgot what that local. Um, <laughs> this tells me that I don't care about lo- that local cup. <laughs> they trying the, to win the, the Carabao Cup. The Carabao Cup. But yeah, I mean their yeah. chances are even. I mean it's they're going to play. They playing Chelsea, right? No, no, they no, they're play PSG. They play PSG, uh, and then uh, Chelsea plays plays Real. Their chances are good. I mean PSG for how well it's been playing. I saw an article actually the other day. I think it was in the Guardian. Their problem is that they not their their team relies on the individual brilliance of Neymar mm-hmm. or Mbappe mm-hmm. and maybe if Marquinhos or the goalkeeper like if the goalkeeper is playing really well, um, but it's especially these two like magical footballers up front. If, if those people perform well, PSG wins. Whereas Man City is more like a well-drilled, like they are a team, 
I mean, yeah. watching them some days, you just kind of, it's scary. <laughs> like to see a, the build up, the destruction of like a team, the 5-0 mm -hmm. wins in the Premier League. So I could I could see them uh, winning winning this one. I mean, and actually today I did sort of move in between the two games. And initially, when the, when Jude Bellingham scored the goal, I was like, "Oh, um, Dortmund might win this thing." And to see them kind of fighting back like they did today, that I think was important for for Man City. So this this might be the year. This might be the year that Man City finally um, gets their 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 Champions League. I know that what's that band called from Oasis? I know those guys will be happy. Yes. The Gallagher's will be very happy. Yeah. Liam and uh, Noel will be very happy. Yep. Today. Um, yeah, I watched. So I watched Chelsea and Porto play yesterday, and I found myself getting bored and annoyed watching the game, and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized, like, I watch City so often that watching, even even at that high, even Champions League quarterfinals between two of the best teams in Europe, like they're not the well-oiled machine. I think Chelsea's probably in a bit of a transition. Um, but like you're saying, I, in past years when City gave up that first goal, they would have panicked. Guardiola would have made tons of adjustments. Might have been a problem. Even after the goal, and it was an early goal, which helped. But they just they kept attacking. They kept finding. Oh, I was not. I was never worried that they wouldn't at least get a goal, which is not something you could have said in the past about um, a City team, especially in the uh, Champions League format. Speaking of um, Chelsea. Um, who City will face also this week on Thursday in the FA Cup semis. Chelsea have advanced um, after a 2-1 aggregate win over Porto. This also keeps Chelsea's hopes of, a, of an appearance in next year's Champions League alive. They are currently fifth in the EPL with seven matches left, one point behind West Ham. A pretty dulled game yesterday other than the, a beautiful last-minute bicycle kick by uh, Mehdi Taremi, which anyone remembers the bicycle kick that Wayne Rooney scored against City years ago was very reminiscent otherwise a dull game but a couple interesting questions i thought that came out of this game um i'll start with you jonah and then i'm going to move it to you sean um jonah is chelsea's success just a bad thing for humanity it is. because yeah you have this franchise that you know they're constantly cycling through coaches they fire everybody no matter there's no continuity they seem like Everything that that humanity fails to 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 manage with sustainability is just heightened at Chelsea. I feel like if, if the whole world was Chelsea, global warming would have killed us like a hundred years ago because they're just so in, so extra about it all. Is Chelsea's success a bad thing objectively, Jonah Birch? Let me ask you this question, and I think it really encapsulates what you're what you're asking right now. How much is is NBC and ESPN going to try and push Christian Pulisic down our throats oh God. Oh. as uh, American <laughs> soccer fans over the next year? And and without, you know, trying to get this podcast sued for slander, do we think he actually might be someone who supports the uh, quote-unquote alt-right? You know, I think you're thinking because he looks like it. Maybe he looks a on way. a haircut, yeah, aren't yeah. you? No. <laughs> No, 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 no. He apparently liked uh, some uh, some far right Instagram posts. Go look it up from last year. Uh, and uh, if you think I'm, you know, I'm full of it, and I am ready to base my entire assessment of a player on that one possible <laughs> Instagram like, you know, which I swear to God I did not make up. I, I you know, look, I, I get it. There's a lot of talented players at Chelsea. 
I don't know how you can, uh, unless you grew up rooting for them, you can love that team. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and I, yes, I think it's it's just bad for humanity. Now, is it good that Frank Lampard fell on his face as Chelsea manager? Some might say yes. I, I don't know. What would Roy Keane say about that, Sean? You know, I think I, I missed Roy Keane's commentary on uh, on <laughs> Frank Lampard's uh, failure. The criticism of on the Frank Lampard thing is that a lot of people criticize like sort of the the fellow the players that are contemporaries of Frank Lampard. They made many excuses for him. They did. Even Roy, mm-hmm. even Roy Keane, I think they they were just kind of trying to explain away his deficiencies or shortcomings by saying mm-hmm. give him time, give him time. But they weren't giving that same time to other players that they perhaps didn't have an affinity for. Whereas with Frank, you had like. Uh, players who played with him, they all made excuses for him. Yeah, and I think Roy Keane also, I mean, of course he was defending his teammate at Manchester United, right. uh, Ole Sunner uh, Golchard, right, to the death when he was struggling, uh, you know, at the beginning of his his tenure there. It is, for someone who was hired, who's such a Chelsea legend as a player, they got rid of him awful fast. And I, I think he had probably you know, lost the locker room a little bit, as we say here in uh, in the United States is my is my impression. If they win the Champions League this year, I I, I would find it even more depressing than if if, if Man City do. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know who to root for at this point. You know, uh, there's not a, one team there that you as a objective neutral observer can be can say, oh, I really like them. You know what I mean? I, that's a that's a likable team. Uh, but I think Chelsea might be. Uh, might be the the worst of those. Gary Young used to have this thing during the, I think it was during the 2006 World Cup he did it. It was sort of like called like the ethical World Cup. And you had to pick a, <laughs> you had to pick a team. It was a little feature in the Guardian. And he picked oh his God. team based on like, I don't know, USA against Trinidad. I don't know, like USA, genocide, Trinidad, colonized. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, then he might say yeah. something like Trinidad run by kleptocratic whatever party. So he'll say Trinidad by a whisker. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, of course it was that if you, I think if you base your, if, 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 if who we support had to be based on some kind of ethical standard, you would never root for like Chelsea owned by, you know, a oil, like an, an oil baron, right. Or PSG. Yeah. Owned by mm-hmm. a not, owned by a princedom of like, you know, where there's no democracy and no human rights, then you, then out of this lot, I would say, you probably you, Atletico Madrid is probably then the. They are, are they the nicest out of this lot? I would say. Okay. Well, you mean you mean Real Madrid. Real Madrid, sorry, yeah. Real Madrid. Out, yeah, out yeah. Of this lot. And city, which is also owned by like 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 oil oil people, <laughs> so it's like yeah. out of this lot, uh, Real Madrid, despite its early history with the <laughs> with the with Franco, this is like this is this this is terrible that this is the this is this is the the base of of you know where we've got to make we've got to make a choice between all right. these terrible choices. Um, but I, yeah, so I don't know if 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 ethics was the way to pick your football club. Um, I, for example, would then not support Liverpool. Liverpool, up until the um, the late 1980s, they've they I think in their history they had like one black player, Howard Gale. They barely played him. 
Um, they the fans were racist. I mean, Liverpool fans were were racist for even like go, uh, uh, you know shouting against their own player John Barnes when he joined the club. And in wow. fact, they used to say there's a great book by Dave Hill called Out of His Skin because the argument was John Barnes was so good that he wasn't black. He played out of his skin. So, oh my God, wow. you know, so there, there's like if ethics was the way that I had to support my football club, then I could never then I could never have supported Liverpool. It's only Liverpool. Liverpool now is very different from like those old Liverpools when they were playing so well. And they had Bruce Robla in goal who was bragging or, you know, in interviews of like uh, killing terrorists, like terrorists in the Zimbabwean Liberation War. So, you know, there's like, if ethics is the basis, then, so to get back to Chelsea then, if, if that's the basis, then I think you cannot, like, then then your point is like, is Chelsea bad for humanity? Then your argument would have to be, and this was like the way they play in their haircuts, like this, they're sort of very mechanical, everything about them just doesn't, it just doesn't feel good. But then you remember that when Chelsea became big, when Chelsea finally, you know, Chelsea was a, was never like a great club. They were like sort of, I think they played in the second division for a long time. They were kind of wallowing at the bottom of like the first division. Mostly older players would go there. But it's I think when they, when Hullet, Ruth Hullet went to to, to Chelsea um, and uh, uh, Zola, you know, uh, from mm -hmm. the, the, the Italian player, that's like their moment when they suddenly played this kind of beautiful football, this sort of champagne looking football. And so even if you didn't like Chelsea, but you're like, I like Hullet. Hullet, when he won his World Player of the Year in 1987, he dedicated it to Nelson Mandela, who's in jail on Robben Island. Mm, How can wow. I not like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think that's the, the, the problem with football. I don't know about other sports. Um, you know, NFL teams, it's like, I can't support that team. But mm -hmm. the thing with, the problem with football is like, I like Atletico Madrid, for example, in Spain. And that's a club, I think, of the generals also. That's another of the clubs of the generals. But I like the way they play. I like that, like, if I'm on yeah. FIFA, I, I always pick Atletico Madrid. <laughs> Not in ultimate, just in, like, seasons. I'm Atletico Madrid because yeah. I like that fighting spirit. I love the way they play. I There's nothing, I mean, so maybe if, if, if Chelsea played a kind of football that, as you say, is a bit like Man City, where you just sound a lot, wow, what the hell is that? Then I would I would totally love and I could appreciate Chelsea's football. But as you rightly say, they got poor sick, who you you kind of trying to figure out what's with the haircuts. You just it, it's just Mason Mound, like the persistence with Mason yeah. Mound, um, and then the isolation, even on the Frank of sort of black players like Tammy. I'm not saying there was like an agenda, but like all that stuff just didn't just it just it turns people off like this weird team. I will say to Chelsea's credit though. I think in the Premier League, Chelsea is the only team that has a black goalkeeper, if I'm not mistaken, with Mendy. So mm. that France mm. is different in Europe in, in, in that there's a ton of black goalkeepers like Mandanda. There's a ton, you know, it's a few of them playing in the French, in the French League Ur. But in the rest, I probably butchered the word Ur there. But in the rest of Europe, it's very unusual to see a black goalkeeper in a top team. And for that, Chelsea is different. So Chelsea gets a point for that. If it was Gary Gary Young's like ethical whatever competition <laughs> thing, but yeah, it's you you may you may be right about is Chelsea banned for humanity? The short answer is probably yes. The long answer is it's it's a little bit more complicated. Complicated, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't believe in complication we... here. 
which team, which team's victory would bring us closest to apartheid? Or, you know, for, I'm Jewish. You know, I don't know if I could say this, but it's the same thing in my family. Which team's victory would be the closest thing to the Holocaust that you could think of, you know, in the... And I, I think it might and be I, Chelsea. I, do, I, I will say I do support teams that I was going to say. Well, I also like Liverpool. Liverpool's a is very working class team. You know, the city is a very working class left wing city. So I go. I actually I love teams from port cities. So when you when you oh. were mentioning that Chelsea was playing Porto, I I also support Porto, but I support Porto for for a bunch of other kind of reasons that have to do with African footballers. Like Porto, um, I have to say this because I want to recognize these people. In 1987, Porto won a Champions League with Raba Majer. And if you if you have your YouTube close by, you should watch the goal. It's like a little back. It's a it's a, an audacious uh, what do you call it back flick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the back, back of your yeah. heel, yeah. like literally, like just it's just like I'm that's I'm cool. gonna do this now. And that's the goal that wins them the cup. That's cool. And then in 2004, when they won it again, their best player was a South African guy called Benny McCarthy. Hmm. Who played for? He had played for Ajax and Celta Vigo. So I've always loved Porto for for. Hmm. So I'm a little, little bit disappointed that Porto didn't beat Chelsea, but I do understand why they couldn't. They are hmm. like literally like sort of an out. They they like that team is like an outlier among these four teams, and you didn't expect them to be there. You knew they were going to lose, mm-hmm. and you you wanted them to win, but you just know they just don't have that kind of money. You know, <laughs> they just look they look they look poor up against mm. these teams and you felt bad that they lost but um yeah but it, it's 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 the name of the game now they don't have that kind of money they can't compete yeah yeah speaking of porto um when they when they scored the bicycle kick they still had a chance to tie it but they weren't able to do so and there was a piece um in the telegraph today by ben rumsby about uefa has held formal discussions about scrapping the away goal tiebreaker um, for games that go to extra time. Uh, a lot of coaches have complained that um, the rule is outdated in light of COVID, causing so many matches to be played at neutral sites. Plus, um, the coaches argue that with the advancements that there have been in travel and accommodation and the quality of pitches and scouting, um, that road teams are more prepared for what's coming than they used to be. I came to soccer later in life than a lot of people, so I, I, I recognize that. Um, the away goal has always been a bit odd to me. Um, I think I understand what its intent was originally, but do you feel, Sean, that that is um, a concept that has outlived its usefulness? Do you think that that Champions of Game, the Champions League tiebreaker, should still be settled by this away goal rule? If 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 there are crowds, yes. Mm. If there are crowds, I would say they should bring it back because if you, I mean, the way I understand it, it's I've never it's like one of those things where you like you think you know what's going on. But then you have to like, it's a lot of mathematics. And if you score one, if it's one, one, then it matters. But if it's, if it, or, but if it's, if it's two, one, it doesn't really matter. It's like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like to figure it out. It's, I would, I would scrap it because it's so difficult to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. For that reason, I would be like, we have to go with it. But I do understand like why it was put in place, which is because if it's the first game, then a team would just like pack the bus. Yeah. And it would be like nil-nil. And the first game would come for nothing. And then the second game would be like the real match. It's kind of sort of saying like in the NBA finals, you can you can be like two games down, but you could still, you know, you could lose the first game. And yeah. you could still be fine because you're getting two, you get after that, you get two games, right? Mm-hmm. In your own like so it's it's all it's all it, 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 it's a problem. 
but I do understand why it matters, like why they had to put it there. So, but again, this is this is funny that I'm giving you this sort of half half baked, can't make up my mind answer. This is the problem <laughs> with football. Is that mm-hmm. football is full of these kind of like you can't change the rules really. It took them forever to get VAR. You know, it took them forever to change rules, for example, about that a goalkeeper. If you kick a ball back to a goalkeeper, a goalkeeper right. cannot pick it up. Like I, I played soccer in high school and that was like you did that, you know. So the, the soccer takes forever to change. I, I, I'd like, it, it'll be interesting. They just changed the rules on VAR. Yeah. If they are now going to make another rule change, that would really be revolutionary if they come up. So this might just be sort of talk by managers who lost out and feel, mm. and feel bad. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe that's more, that's probably what's happening here more than anything. One more game out of the four. Um, it was PSG who lost 1-0 to Bayern, but they advanced on aggregate thanks to three away goals in the first leg. This is PSG's second year in a row reaching the semifinals. They gained a measure of revenge against Bayern, who defeated them last year in the championship. Shona, I want to ask you about Kylian Mbappe, and there has been a little bit of talk that he might be looking to leave PSG, and I'm curious... Um, because I can see this cutting both ways, Jonah. Do you think if PSG wins at all, that would make it easier for him to consider leaving because he came there, he did everything that they could ask, and now he moves on, kind of like LeBron in, in Miami? Or do you feel like if they don't win, is he more likely to leave? Because, you know, players will argue, I want to I play for a winner, and if I, if I can't do it here, I want to do it elsewhere. Do you think one outcome would be more likely than the other to make Mbappe stay or leave PSG? So, first of all, I, that, that was the best game of the bunch. Huh? I mean, the one the one nil game, I, that, that, that matchup was really an incredible matchup. And after Bayern, you know, just smoked everyone on the way to the title last year, it was a great, great game. And, uh, you know, you thought there were, I mean, Neymar hitting the woodwork twice you thought that that PSG was going to blow them out. And then at the end, it, I mean, it was a furious uh, finish. I, I wonder if anyone is going to be able to afford Kylian Mbappe uh, this year, given what COVID has done to uh, finances. So, uh, you know, it's really hard mm-hmm. to say whether he's going to move on, wh- how much fire there is uh, behind that smoke. Uh, he, you know, he and Neymar looked unbelievable. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it's quite a combination for any team, right? Mm-hmm. Sean, what do you think? I mean, about- the only—I think the only—the only two teams that could probably buy him are the other Spanish teams, right. who sort of don't matter about running at a loss or basically being like a Ponzi scheme of some sort. I think Barcelona and, and Real Madrid might throw money at this. I cannot see if, it, if they, I haven't heard like cities. Cities never said that they're interested in him. Yeah. They're interested in Holland. in uh, in Holland or some people say Kane, but mm-hmm. City's not really interested in him. The German clubs, you know, how I don't know how old Lewandowski is now, but the, the only club in Germany that can afford to play like him is Bayern. Yeah, and they basically they've got they've got Lewandowski. They have Müller, who doesn't seems to get old. I don't know how old he really is. <laughs> no. And then they have they have this guy Chopo Moting, who who. I don't know how long, but he t- he turns up like he played for PSG. He's played for them. I think he even played in England somewhere for Sunderland or something. Mm. But 
you know, I don't, I don't think them buying him will will work. So it's unclear where he's going to go. Um, the the real the answer is that point you make at the beginning, which is if they win, he might just stick around and stay in Paris because then the, then the, then this will be like playing in Spain, where you play like three big three or four really competitive games per season, yep. and the rest you're kind of coasting. Yep. And you save your energy for the Champions League mm-hmm. because if that's what you want to win, if that's what PSG wants to win, then if you have a fresh Neymar and a fresh Kylian Mbappe for that, then you're fine. And for the rest, you're playing against Rennes, <laughs> whatever, and Lille. I'm right. not disparaging these clubs. <laughs> I know there might be people listening from those clubs. But yeah, you're probably better off than staying at PSG if they win this thing, if they win the Champions League. Yeah. And a question on Bayern. Um, Bayern, I I find something interesting about where they are now. They're so they're out of the Champions League a year after winning, um, but they're they're still four points up in the Bundesliga over Leipzig with six games to play. If they hold on, it will be their ninth consecutive league title. And I'm struck by something that strikes me maybe as a capitalist ethos here, where and I, I don't know if it applies to Bayern and their fans, but there can be almost a resentment when a club has continued success on a domestic level um psg faced some of this i think in france but doesn't take it to the next level city has faced this also in england and i'm curious it's not really it's not apples to apples you're talking about you know 34 games a year against your league versus a crapshoot tournament that has group stages it has tiebreakers and yet i suspect that the season will not be considered a success for bayern um, even if they win the league for the ninth time, which I don't think anyone else has ever done in Bundesliga history besides Bayern Munich. Soccer, especially on some levels to me, it happens in all sports, but like I find this incredible tension between the the ethos and the sensibility of the fan organically versus the sport is so infused with money and it's owned by billionaires and it's owned by by global networks and it's owned by you know, massive corporations like UEFA and FIFA. Like, so you have that contrast over like, okay, I have something that is always good. I I trust Bayern, it's sustained, it's successful, but I need something new. I need something different. And I, I, I thankfully, I am a Met fan and a Nick fan, so my teams are never good. So I don't have any comprehension of what it's like to have a team be successful consistently. The closest is City. I, I really want them to win the Champions League because I haven't seen them do it. But I don't feel cheated, like the way that they're dominating the Premier League this year. I I feel very proud of that. I feel good about that. I I, I want the Champions League because I haven't seen them win it. But I don't feel like if they lost the Champions League, but they win their fifth league in ten years, that I've been somehow ripped off as a fan. But do you see this, Sean? In in do you see it as much in other sports? Do you think it's a a larger cultural kind of artifact where? I don't care if I know something is good. I just need something different. I need the next big thing. That seems very sad to me right. that you could, because there's so many clubs who would kill to be anywhere near the success of a Bayern. But I, I, I really suspect that like when the year ends, they might have a lot of changes because to them it will be what a failure. And to 95% of the clubs on earth, it would be a success. And that's because in Germany, they they are... They're sort of unrivaled. They have so much more money than 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 everybody else. I mean, I think Germany is the biggest kind of sports market in Europe, biggest consumer market in Europe, if you want, the biggest market for for professional, you know, for making money out of a professional club. 
Um, okay. Bayern is not a global club, say, in the way that Barcelona or the, the way Barcelona makes global money or, um, you know, Real Madrid or Man United makes global money. It is the only, if you want, your German club that, that is a global club, even though it doesn't make the kind of money that the others make. So from that perspective... Uh-oh. Did we lose Sean? We did. We just lost him. Maybe we should do, we should just do the podcast. We can just leave it hanging like that. Like the end of The Sopranos. There know? is no, yeah, it's just fade to black. That's it. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Can you can you hear us? I got cut off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, you yeah. were talking about German, you know, German profiteering more than other places, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, <laughs> so in Germany, Bayern is not well liked because oh. it basically it basically buys up. Like, if your player becomes really good, I mean, I'm a fan of Dortmund. So, as I said, I support teams in port cities. So, I'm a fan of Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli, that's another, I support Marseille mm. and I support Porto, but I do, you know, my team of my heart, I suppose, is Liverpool. Napoli, mostly because of Maradona. Mm. But um, the thing about Bayern is that it, it it can buy up the best players that other teams have, right? Some of Dortmund's best players used to go to, especially Dortmund, actually, they would, they would buy up all the best players of Dortmund, so therefore they can keep winning. I think yes. I think Lewandowski comes from Dortmund. If I if I don't, yes. yeah. So um, yeah. Royce, like you know, Michael Royce, mm-hmm. like all these players come from from all the other clubs. So it 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 has that because of that that dominance in Germany. As a result, if it doesn't win the the, the Champions League, everybody sort of goes like, you can you can dominate the the the, the local the Bundesliga. It, it's not that hard for you to dominate the Bundesliga. So you should be able to compete at that kind of elite level with these other elite clubs in Europe. And when you don't do it, then the fans of that club, I think, resent it. Mm. At the same time, there's something else happening in Germany now, which makes people who probably wouldn't have rooted for Bayern uh, would like for Bayern to keep winning. And that's the rise of this club called RB Leipzig, which basically means really Red Bull Leipzig. Mm -hmm, mm And in Germany, that's that's an anomaly. So German clubs are owned, I think it's like 50 plus 1% has to be owned by fans. And it's the only competition in Europe or in the world that is like that. I mean, you have like, you know, anomalies like in other sports, like in the NFL, I think you have, although people debate that, the Green Bay Packers, I think is owned by the fans or whatever. Yeah. So, but in Germany, that's like the norm. Mm. And so into that mix came this, this club that's owned by an energy drink. And that is not that also messed with like the way UEFA works. I mean, there's a separate point, which is that you would have you would have end up with there's an RB Leipzig, there's a Red Bull Salzburg, there's another you know there's mm-hmm. all these Red Bull clubs there. By the way, even in the there's even in the well, MLS. US in MLS there's a yeah. club in Brazil there's clubs in Mexico there are all these RBs wow. or Red Bull clubs. So in Germany especially, where for all Germany's other issues and stuff. Well, I was going to say for Germany's horrible history. Um, <laughs> the social democratic ethos extends to football, fan control, ticket tickets never too expensive. Clubs are run by by the members. So even Bayern has a board of directors. It has you know rich people. I think they represent like all the major corporations in 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 Germany. They sit on this board, Volkswagen, etc., and so on. But the, the idea is that, like, the clubs, even if it's a super club like Bayern, it's owned by the fans. And to have this, like, this 
different model coming in, this like purely capitalist model of a club owned by a an energy drink magnet is worrying to people. And so for that reason, hmm. there's this like, oh, Bayern should then win. <laughs> Let Bayern win the league then. Or maybe now and then Dortmund can win the league. Now, the the, the larger question, I, I think in football, football is, is less, used to be less predictable about who could win the top prize when it was the Champions League. It's more, it depending on certain leagues, like, as you said, Bayern just wins it. But it wasn't guaranteed that Bayern would win the Champions League. I think they've won something like seven or eight Champions Leagues, as opposed to like um, Real Madrid, which has which holds the record for the most um, Champions Leagues. The problem is like right now we're in that kind of world in which it is expected of clubs like Bayern, who basically can coast at home, and they should be able to win like the Champions League. If Man City doesn't win the Champions League. You're upset, but you understand that like they play a super competitive league, even if it's also an inflated league with like, but at least there's like five or six teams that could win it. That's not the case in Italy. That's not the case in France. That's not the case in Germany. And so that's where I think the resentment, whether it's from their own fans or often even from, you know, if it's it's about like the German football bond, like the football league being upset that they're not winning. I think that's where that comes from. But I do feel like this this issue of RB Leipzig is mitigating, I think, their own fans' disappointments or the disappointment of, or the resentment of other clubs that they have with them. It's like, why aren't you winning the Champions League since you're coasting all season? I think they're kind of like, maybe it's okay that you that you won again because we don't want that Leipzig club to win, the, <laughs> to win this thing. Yeah. Right, right. Nice. Okay. Um... Those are all my questions for the interview. Jonah, do you have anything that you would like to ask? I, I want to know, is it really true that you, you chose your teams, your, your clubs, based on their proximity to water? And that you were looking for some good port cities <laughs> with, uh, you know, that's that's actually my question. It worked. I think it worked out the way I'm from Cape Town originally, which is a port yeah. city. So, sure. so, you know, although I, I I'm not a good swimmer. Um, I actually learned how to properly swim as a, as a grown-up. I, I almost drowned as a kid. I, I used to love swimming, almost drowned. And then for years, I didn't want to get close to water. But I would say it just seemed to work out that way. The Porto thing was Rafa Major in 87. You know, I'm in high school. Um, and then Benny McCarthy goes to play for them, like in the in the sort of early, early to late, um, well, the late 90s to the early 2000s. So kind of it's like, it just happened that that was the case. Marseille is the first team in Europe to appoint an, an African as a CEO. And and has Papa a, it was a lefty team. I mean, it was always a lefty team. It was team. a lefty team from a, a lefty city, yeah. from a city that's so... Run by the communists that, that is, for decades. Yeah, for thank sure. You. So, yeah. you know, so there's, there's, there's the politics of the city. Yes. The team itself has got, like, in the late 80s, is probably the, one of the, <laughs> the blackest teams in yeah. France, like, Running the team, Vasily Boli, who scores, they beat Milan in the Champions League. I think it was '92 yeah. or '93, and they this guy called Vasily Boli, whose family came from Senegal. Marcel, Marcel Desailly, who by the way ends up at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. To my point mm-hmm. of like, when you kind of look at Chelsea and you like Chelsea, you know. So um, Abedi Peli, Abedi Peli, who's the father of Jordan Ayew, Ayew or Ayew, and Andre Ayew, who plays for yeah. for Swansea. That's their dad, mm-hmm. West Brom. That's their dad. 
and he he played for Ghana, and he was at the heart of their midfield. Just go watching this little dude who's like <laughs> running through teams. So you know, it's like it just so happens that that was a portrait. I eventually made it to Marseille. Actually, um, right before COVID, I, I went for a visit to Marseille, and I was like, I really love the the atmosphere. I just love the, the the yeah. It's a great city. It's it's you know I've been to Paris before, and I was like, this this city looks to, to the Mediterranean. Mm. That you you the, the Algerians you see them. It's not like you're like, oh, I need to go out to like a suburb. Right. It's to, it, to, to, so PSG. I mean, Paris did not have a team until quite recently, yeah. which is unbelievable. But PSG had a fan base that was originally a, a far right fan base. Yeah, I mean, yeah. really right wing. Now you know today. That's just the team that everyone and the you know they're the biggest team in France. Obviously, they've really I mean Marseille has, has been in crisis, kind of a disaster, and everyone in the Paris area you know roots for PSG. But it is interesting how these teams, a, a lot of underdogs. I mean, with with Napoli too, you really get a sense from the, from that Maradona documentary that HBO mm-hmm. had, which is excellent, by the way. It's an incredible documentary. It's an incredible yeah. documentary. You know, and I, you know, my, my father-in-law, I talked about, he just passed, you know, he was part of this generation of Argentines who were, there was a big left in the seventies. A lot of people got murdered. A lot of yeah. people fled during the, you know, after the coup in 76 and Maradona is this kind of lefty figure. And he goes to Napoli, which is, let's say not a town that was controlled by the left by any, you know, in any way, shape or form. <laughs> right. Uh, and and he had, some, you know, obviously a lot of a very complicated life, but it was a city that faced the kind of bigotry of northern Italy towards uh, Mezzogiorno, towards, you know, southern Italy. And you really get that flavor from the documentary. So they're kind of underdog teams a little bit, you know, no, it's, uh, to- teams, it's totally about yeah. underdogs. It's totally about underdogs. And, and, and you, again, with Maradona, it's like I'm growing up in South Africa. And this South Africa is banned from international football. So you live vicariously through mm. players that sort of could, that look like the people around you. And Maradona also, Argentina, well, you do know more of this, I suppose, has its own identity crisis about, you know, what is Argentina? Is it, is it the South Africa of, of South America? You know, in terms of its, <laughs> its sort of identity crisis. And Maradona doesn't, Maradona looks... He, he he looks more like somebody who's in who, like a native, you know, like a native person, like a native. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's 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 this sort of actually I joke when Maradona came to to the 2010 World Cup and he was the coach, he had like ring like a bunch of rings on his finger, like every every finger had a ring on it. <laughs> he dressed like like an uncle of mine, you know what I'm saying? Like he looked like, the, he looked like your uncle, your, your like the dude from around the corner, the guy who runs the like um. You know the local speakeasy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like sure. that, that the, the hair and everything. So it was just like there was just something about Maradona as a well as a player. Of course, he's, just, he's an extraordinary player, and he takes this Absolutely. little team and they win the they win the, the the Serie A, and at a time when there's like all the world's best players are in in Italy, yeah, yeah. and yeah. he pulls that off, and then he goes well just before that. Sorry, he he wins the World Cup. If you want, almost sing, single-handedly, he pulls Argentina to the to the top of the world. So it just so happens that he also plays for a port city. So it just, <laughs> I think it just all. And the irony of all, all of this is the irony of all of this is in South Africa. Though I don't support a team from a port city, I support this other team that comes from you know inland, which is this team called the Orlando Pirates. 
um, who has like a, a skull and crossbones as the uh, playing on all black. Like I support that team and I don't support a coastal team in, in the place where I'm from, but everywhere <laughs> else I'm like supporting these teams from coastal, coastal cities. Yeah. Jonah, what did you want to add? No, nothing. I, I mean, I was going to say something about Maradona and I, Argentine identity. There's, it's a very, it's a left, right split, right? If you're on the left in Argentina, you see yourself very strongly as Latin American. I mean, it's, Che Guevara, it's Mercedes Sosa, whereas it's the right that says, no, we're whatever. Well, you know, whatever we are, we, we're, we're Italian, we're, we're European, right? right? right. So that's, the, right. you know, and that's the split there. I was also going to say, isn't it ironic? A lot of teams in professional sports named Pirates, very rarely from anywhere near the water, like it reminds me right. of the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> you didn't have any Pirates in Pittsburgh. Why there's a river, in, there's a river actually, in Pittsburgh. I actually did right. <laughs> I actually did right by myself that I then I, I support a team who's not from the coast, but they're called pirates. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There, there you go. go. Yeah. Oh, the point, the <laughs> comment I made sort of in passing at the beginning when I said um you had Kaiser's Chiefs, which yeah. is which was coming from Atlanta Chiefs. So one of the stories that is that is about South African football is that in the late 1960s, when FIFA suspends South Africa from, from world football. So South African players, they can't play if they have a South African ID. And that mostly affected, like, black players were especially affected by that. White sure. white players often could be like, you know, go play in England with, like, a British passport. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those South African players ended up in the U.S. And they played really? in the NASL. Yeah, they played in the, the you know, awesome. the, the the Cosmos, like, one of the greatest players. Yeah, of South yeah, Africa, yeah, the, the 70s. Yeah, Jomo, Jomo Sono, he played at the... At the Cosmos with Pele, um, Asen Selengwe. He was like, like I've met people from Minnesota who can, who can say his name. I mean, I was like, <laughs> it's like Ace Patrick Ace Selengwe. Like, and 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 when you read the name, it doesn't sound like you say it. So to like hear somebody say this from like Minnesota, I was like, what? So he became like this legend in Minnesota. And then Kaiser Motawum is a South African footballer. He he played for the, the Chiefs, so he goes back and he calls his, his team Kaiser's Chiefs, and he uses like a logo of like a native <laughs> dude, in, like which. So that debate about the you know the using yeah, Native yeah. American imagery has not even gotten to to the South Africans. So that you can you can look it up. They play like a yellow color, and then this Jomo Jomo Sono who played for Jomo Cosmos, he goes back to South Africa and has, and he calls his team Jomo's Cosmos. <laughs> So that's that. like the, the effect of like the old NASL on South yeah. African football and shaping the names of South African teams is is actually something that hasn't really ever people haven't really you know kind of um, gone through like how those names came came about yet. That might be the greatest impact that America has had on soccer <laughs> around the world <laughs> at all. Certainly more than Christian Pulisic. On that note, Sean, do you have anything coming out soon um, that you want to? let our audience know to look out for or anything that you want to mention about some of the groups that you're affiliated with? We have a podcast um, called uh, Africa is a Country Talk. It's more like, a, it's more, it's on YouTube also and on Facebook. It's on every Tuesdays, 12 EST for like an hour. It sometimes will go over. Our last program uh, was called um, What is Left for the Left in South Africa? Hmm. And we actually had now Ready on, now Ready, who's, uh, who's in sociology at, at uh, NYU South African along with uh, two other people, um, Masi Bukujara, who was expelled from the Communist Party for criticizing them, the local Communist Party in South Africa. 
and uh, Tasneem Esop, who's a researcher. So definitely, I want to definitely recommend people to check out our podcast. You can also watch it on our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, we're live every Tuesday um, between uh, 12 and 1. And actually, this coming week, we are going to interview a historian of South African football, a guy called Chris Bolsman, who, who, who studied um, the, the kind of the long entanglement of English football with South African mm. football. Nice. Especially during apartheid, which is an interesting history. Kevin Keegan, yeah, Roy yeah. Hodgson, all these people went to play in South Africa when they weren't supposed to. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will definitely look out for that. I was really quite thrilled to find out that you edited and founded that site because I followed Africa as a country for years and had no idea. Um, so I'm really, really excited for that and hope that our audience will, will tune in for that also. Um, you can find our guest, Sean Jacobs, on Twitter at underscore Sean Jacobs, S-E-A-N-J-A-C-O-B-S. That is it for this week's episode of the Jacobin Sports Show. Our producer, as always, is Connor Gillies. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at Jacobin Sports and email us any thoughts or questions or suggestions that you have to jacobinsports at gmail.com. Um, Sean, thank you once again for coming on. Learned a lot and really had a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it was great. And um, Thanks, man. Yep, that will be all for this week. So take care, everybody. Okay, bye.